0: Welcome to the Art of Faith podcast. I am Pastor Joshua Kapczynski, and this is a production of Granite Creek Studios. I want to encourage you to support this, but we would love to continue to uh, produce shows like Art of Faith, Far Outpost, and we've got some others in the can too. Right now I'm on a series called Who is Jordan Peterson? And, well, I'm asking the question, is he important for the church? Well, that obviously I think that he is, but I, I mean, I am a bit of a fanboy for Jordan Peterson. But the more I listen to his material and I'm talking about his his psychological work that he does on personality, the more I am I'm beginning to really find real-world applications into uh, not only in my personal life, but into church life and into ministry. You might know Jordan as somebody that has been controversial in the news, and I think we're going to hear more about him in the near future. Uh, when I started the series, I made the point that majority of my church didn't even know who Jordan Peterson, uh, who he is, and when I was going to go see him at a, at a big event, um i think that that will change i think that everyone's going to know who he is eventually and let me again preface this i will probably say this on every podcast uh, i am not I, though I i do respect him i think he's a great leader i love his uh his perspective and his rationality um in in the topics that we're talking about today not only do i i I think that he's important. Um I'm not saying that he is the Messiah. I'm not saying that um that I'm going to idolize this man because I'm sure he has faults like anyone else. But I am impressed. And frankly, I'm impressed that uh he is a man of character that has um shown his character over a long period of time and in some cases he's he's modeling Christ-like behavior more more than most Uh, high-profile pastors that I've fallen in love with in the past and been disillusioned with. So um, regardless, I don't want to speak negatively into his future, but um, the the work that he does now is important, and I think it's very important for us. So uh, we are on uh, rule number three. Make friends with people who want the best for you. So that seems like a no-duh. I mean, it seems like a very simple rule for life. Uh, make friends with people that want the best for you, you and in your your in, your, in, in, in your family, uh, people that, that really want to encourage you. You would think that we could probably just stop right now, but of course, in this chapter, Jordan Del dives deep into... Some psychology of relationships and why even the best of us uh, can get dysfunctional in our relationships with others and how we can use other people to justify uh, where we have chosen to plateau off. So so let me just, let me tell you a couple of stories in my own personal life of friendships that I've had, uh, some that have been codependent or toxic or not healthy, um, and then maybe some that have been positive and encouraging. He tells us some similar stories in this chapter, and I think all of us can relate to this. I love talking about high school. I mean, i I I don't ever want to go back to high school. Like if I found a time machine, I probably wouldn't go back there. I probably wouldn't want to relive that part of my life. But it is a formative uh, time in most people's lives, and it's a defining moment. We know that from the age of 13 to 18, um, there are choices that are made in an adolescent that will uh, predict the trajectory of their life. Uh, evangelicals know that a majority of people that give their life to Jesus and serve him for the rest of their lives, they make that decision around 13, 14, 15. Uh, it's, unfortunately, it is very rare to have a conversion uh, with somebody in, in later in life, because why? They're set in their ways, uh, They've they've checked all the boxes, they know who they're voting for, and they're just not going to change. But if somebody can make a decision for Christ at a young age, then that makes a huge difference. So we know as evangelicals, we know that that's a big deal. I, just by the way, I hate calling myself an evangelical. So uh, maybe I'll talk about that some other time, but I don't even consider myself an evangelical. Anyway, um, we know that that's a formative moment in faith, but in terms of relationships, it's also an important formative moment. Like like these decisions that we make at a young age are huge. Uh and and relationally they're huge. So for example, uh in high school, uh I I had a spectrum of friends. So I was you know, I was kind of the jock, so I had, you know, I was on the wrestling team, I was on the football team. Um but I still had I had nerd friends, I had goth friends, um, I had friends that were in the music scene, and so just kind of, I don't know, I couldn't necessarily settle on one friend group, uh, either. That's, whether that's good or bad, but one specific um, memory is that I was hanging around a kid that was, I guess you had to put him in the music scene, so he was in the music scene, and he's just brilliant. So, like, smart, had it all together, uh, dressed really well. And, you know, from my perspective, in that moment, you know, back then, like, I was, it, I was looking up to my friend as if he was some model of, uh, of something that I wanted to be like. And in my mind, and in actually everybody else's mind too, uh, we all knew that like this guy was going somewhere. Like he was going, you know, voted, you know, to be most popular, voted to be the most successful. And uh, we just all kind of assumed that that would be the case. And and yet in this little click that he found himself into, he was hanging out with people that he was, this is important. He was hanging out with people that he was loyal to. Um, but they weren't necessarily healthy people. They were the cool kids. Don't get me wrong. They were they were the ones that everybody wanted to be around. And he basically aligned himself up to these people that were unhealthy. And so, of course, it's just the, the typical tropes. You know, there's you know he he fell into drug addiction, he fell into alcoholism, you know he fell into just kind of like that stoner lifestyle and for you know somebody that we all just anticipated was going to be the most successful person you know he made that in the yearbook. it just didn't materialize, and just kind of scratching your head. I had the same experience years later in college uh one of my first friends in college um i i saw this this young man uh in the dormitory in the common room and he was playing he was playing the piano and at the time i was into uh i was into classical music, so uh, I can tell the difference between wagner beethoven mozart and i just like i have an ear for that so i can i can hear who's who's who so I walk into the dormitory and i hear that, um, this young man playing um a little bit of an obscure M- Mozart piece. And so I was all proud of myself that I picked up on it. And so here I am. I'm going to impress this person by saying, Hey, you're playing Mozart, aren't you? And this man says this young guy says, Yeah, I'm playing Mozart. And so he starts playing it. It's just beautiful, right? Just a perfect, pure perfection. And I'm like, wow, you're just that's that's great. And he's like, yeah, it's great, huh? I'm like, yeah, it's great. He's like, do you want to hear it backwards? And then he just, he just starts playing it completely backwards. Now, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't doing it you know, to, be, to brag. He wasn't doing it to show off. I, the guy's just a savant. I mean, he was just absolutely brilliant. Uh, to the point where he didn't have to study. He just horsed off the whole time. And he still got straight A's on everything. I mean, the mind on this guy was absolutely incredible and kind of like the same story from somebody that you would think um, with a mind like that and just charisma off the charts. Like this guy was a natural born leader. Everybody was in his dorm room. Everybody was listening to every word he had to say. Um, You know, this is the type of individual that could start a cult and everybody would would be, you know, literally in bed with him. And so um, just that that super charismatic type of person. And yet the same thing happens where he he made the wrong kind of friends. So instead of I don't know what that says about me because he made friends with me. Um so instead of choosing friends that would challenge him or friends that if you could find any any friends that would even be smarter than him uh he he chose to hang out with lower common denominators that sounds really negative to say but that's just the truth and once again we were all kind of scratching our heads like what happened to this guy he was supposed to be brilliant and uh yeah, he's not. He just didn't really do anything with his life, and so okay. So, what's my point? Like, we all know that we need to choose good friends. So let me let me push the, this idea into the context of of church life, of of ministry life, because um, it's easy for us to point out these scenarios in our high school experiences with others or college experiences with others. But uh, let me just challenge all of us, myself included, like, are we still doing, do we still do this type of behavior today? So do I personally choose either consciously or unconsciously to hang out with people or to befriend people, to put people in my circle that that won't challenge me to be a better person. And that that's a tough one, isn't it? So that's a very honest and brutal question that I want to encourage you to ask. Are you surrounding yourself with people that have your best interest in mind and that are willing to push and challenge you to become a better person? That, that, that might take a little bit of time to think about. So maybe just even pause for a moment and think about uh, your, your friend group or your social group or maybe even your uh, family structures. Can you honestly say, yes, I believe that they have my best interest in mind? And so how would you know this? One of the things... That I find personally annoying is when somebody tries to uh, a friend or uh, how, do I, how do I how do I say this? Things I find annoying is when uh, somebody tries to save me or or rescue me, uh, specifically when I'm not asking for help. Have you ever been in this situation where you're not asking for help and you just want to move along and yet somebody wants to jump into your life and maybe tell you how to do things or, or to save you in that moment. Okay. That's annoying to me for a couple of reasons. One, probably because I'm a guy, uh, two, because I like to, I'm a bit of a control freak. I will freely admit that I like to be in control over my own life. So that's another issue. Um, But I think probably what bugs me the most about it, and it's because I see this in myself as being a pastor, is that one of the major dysfunctions that humans have, George Peterson points this out in this chapter, is that we have this tendency to have a Messiah complex. Meaning that we think that, okay, this is going to be hard for a lot of people to hear right now um we think that if we are if we are, are acting as as Jesus if we if we are going to be somebody's savior if we're going to be somebody's messiah uh if we are going to be somebody's counselor, and that somehow makes us a better person and the reason why I mean that might seem like a good thing but the reason why that could be a dysfunctional thing is that um we're doing it for the the wrong motives and and the wrong the wrong reasons uh if it is a a status situation like um everybody everybody needs they need my saving they they need my they need my help and if I don't help them then they're, they're, their lives are going to fall apart. I'm I'm key and crucial to their to their to, to their success. Um, now I'm a I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd of people. So I'm supposed to help people, right? And I'll just be frank with you. Over the years, I've learned that I can only help people that want to be helped. We have people that come into the church every single Sunday asking for prayer, asking for a miracle, asking for a handout, asking for financial aid. And, you know, we give it to them or we try, but it's just been my experience that maybe instead of giving it to them, we need to ask them, why are you in the situation that you're in? So the easy thing for me to do would just be to come in, jump in and rescue them and, you know, fix their problems. Because again, I'm a guy and I like to fix problems. But the deeper issue, the there's fo- foundational issues. And that basically boils down to why are they in the situation that they're in? And do they really want to change? Do they really want to become a better person do they want to uh, transform and quit the behavior that's got them either stuck financially or stuck relationally or or whatever we also know this this is probably going to get me in a lot of trouble when I say this but we also know that there is an identity that people place in victimhood in illness and being down uh, trodden and cast down like, so they, they, some people like the attention of people like me, pastors, feeling sorry for them. And I do have compassion for people. I really do. But I just know from over 20 years of formal ministry experience and growing up in the church, like, we can only help the people that really want to be helped. And so we coach them or guide them or head them in the right direction, but really it is their own personal responsibility to becoming better people, breaking out of systems, breaking out of, of out of mindsets, out of poverty, uh, receiving either supernatural healing or just even adopting healthy lifestyles that will make them a healthy person. So it reminds me of uh, one of Jesus's first miracles, um, and, and when he asked the man, uh, you know, it's the man uh, at the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, and he's on his mat. He's making excuses why he can't get healed. He's making, you know, everybody rushes into the the magic water, and I don't ever had a chance to get in. And and um, and so Jesus asks him a very pointed and direct question he says do you want to be healed it seems like a very simple question but extremely profound because the truth of it is is that some people don't want to be healed they 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 like the identity they like the comfort they like the social the social security blanket that that you might get if you if you don't have to provide for yourself so they they prefer it. Likewise, people will stick with the same dysfunctional friend group because they don't want to surround themselves with people that will make them better and challenge them. So this rule is, rule number three is actually... Uh, a little deeper than make sure you have friends that that think the best of you you need to, you need to surround yourself with people that will challenge you to be a better person all the way around, whether you like it or not. And you know that question of do you want to be healed? it applies. Do you want to have healthy relationships? Do you want to have do you really want to have friendships that are um, that go both ways? Not just you know somebody feeding into your ego, or not just you uh, uh, fulfilling a dysfunctional role by being uh, codependent on feeding somebody's you know uh, pain because they're they have a narcissistic issue. So the question that Jesus asks us, and the question that that um, the that Jordan asks us, is like, do you really want this? Do you really want? Um, do you want to become a better version of yourself? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? And if, and if the question is yes, then uh, we need to make sure that we don't surround ourselves with people that will bring us down to another a, a lower level. Now, that almost that might seem counterproductive to what we do in church life and to what we do in ministry because uh, our our mission is to help people. Um, mission of, the, of the, the church in general is to help people. And so it kind of comes off sounding a little bit arrogant saying that, uh, you know, you only need to surround yourself with the best people and everybody else you need to kind of kick, kick to the curb. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we only we're only going to fill our pews with perfect people. I mean that's ridiculous. Uh but we do need to encourage people to change. And so, I want to I want to fill our pews with hurting, broken, jacked up people, but people that that want to that want to grow. That want to that want to find that lust for life and that that want to get back to that childlike faith. That that want to go on the ride with God, the that roller coaster ride with Jesus. Like that's like this is the people that we want to fill our our our, our congregations with our 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 chairs with. We the people that we want around us because, I mean, a faith like that. Then people can they can change a culture. If the pews. If uh, when the pews are filled with complaining, whining, gripey mat warmers that are always saying that always have an excuse for something and that are always tearing somebody else down another church or another denomination, uh, congregations that are filled with Insecure, small-minded, small-minded. I know that sounds really horrible to say, but um, churches that are filled with fear-based people, like, they just become toxic cesspools. And I know it's a fight, and I know we need to encourage to to to, to grow people. But I'll, I'll just I'll just leave us with this idea as a church and as an individual. Um Invest in people that want to grow that not only want to grow themselves but want to grow the people that are around you. So that gets to the title of it. But the other side of the coin is you need to not go back to the usual suspects of people that will tell you what you want to hear, um, of the usual suspects that uh, are okay with the status quo, um, the usual suspects that uh, suck up your time and energy, and and that's a that's a that's a powerful truth for us to grasp. Is not hanging out with with this is going to sound again so arrogant. But not hanging out with time wasters. So sometimes, some of the the most loving thing that we can do with certain friends will be to sever a friendship because it the the friendship is um, codependent, dysfunctional, and that that's that's the hard stuff to hear. And I know again from doing twenty plus years of ministry that there's a lot of uh, church hurt out there where people have been hurt by church and. Church people and church leaders and and the like. And I I get that. I know that's rough. Um, But in order to not only change ourselves and to change our culture and our society, uh, we need to be all in this truth that iron sharpens iron. We need to be sharpening each other. All right. Uh, I think I'm done for today on this one, and uh, we'll do rule number four next week. So I guess I would just say to wrap it up, I always want to challenge you to to, to reassess your friends. Uh, you know, in a non-ego, uh, sensical way, in a non-narcissistic way, just be bold and ask yourself the question: Are these friends building me up? Or are they they keeping me stuck in this quasi mock and mire? are they telling me the things i want to hear or are they challenging me to be better so these are these are important questions to ask and i would probably honestly say too that if you're having a hard time finding meaningful relationships i would also say that you're just not alone because those are few and far between but i do believe in the power of prayer so this is something that that you can put on your prayer list. You know, Lord, surround me with people that are going to make me better. Um, you, you, God will answer that prayer. You might not like what you get, but God will answer that prayer. I promise you that. Uh, you will find people that need you and uh, people that you are going to need, and, and, and it will be in a healthy way. So uh, thanks again for listening to the Art of Faith podcast. I'm sorry I don't have any visual um, graphics for you today. Let me see here. I don't have anything in the studio. Well, on this wall over here below our Evangelist Johnny Smith banner there's a a painting that I picked up in Eastern Europe in Krakow, Poland. And it is of Maria Theresa, the empress of the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, she is confronting the court about a certain situation with the uncoming onslaught of the Ottomans. And she's just not a popular figure right now. And uh, And yet she stands in the truth of what she knows that she needs to do. And so that will be our little visual graphic today. Sometimes standing up for what you know is true will cost you some friends that you think that are dear. But uh, the the reality is that they weren't good friends to begin with. All right. God bless you all. Thanks again for listening. And hopefully we'll get to the point where uh, this podcast will reach a lot of people. Share it with everybody you know. God bless. I guess you have to like these things and follow these things. And that helps us too. Uh, God bless and see you Sunday.